Welcome to the Man of War podcast. My name is Rafa Conde, and of course, I am a man on a mission here to transform you into a modern day warrior, a man of action, a man who steps up in the heat of battle come hell or high water, a man who wants to be a stronger father, husband, leader, visionary. Listen, this is all about living the warrior lifestyle. If you find that this content is connecting with you, if you're inspired by it, if you're using and implementing these strategies and philosophies into your own life and it's making you a better person, I'm asking you to do this for me. If you're listening via Spotify or Apple, subscribe. If you're watching us through YouTube, turn on that notification bell and subscribe also. Because guess what? When we bring out new content in our new YouTube channel, you're gonna love it. Every single week, we'll have something very value-driven, all about the warrior lifestyle. Thank you for your support. Some of the best leaders I've ever met were in the FBI. Okay, if I've got to pick five of the top people to, to go to war with me, few of them are coming from the FBI. Errol Dobler, welcome to the Man of War podcast, my brother. It is an absolute honor to have you on. Well, thanks, Rafa. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Listen, we were talking before this podcast. Your experience is, is incredible. So I want to dive into it immediately. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about who you are. I'm going to give you the ground here to, to kind of let the listeners know a little bit of your background. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll hit the highlights. I'm a, I'm a graduate of the United States Naval Academy back way back in 1991. I was uh, from there. I was a surface warfare officer, basically a ship driver on board the USS Monongahela, which is part of my story. I don't talk about it too often, uh, but that was a great experience uh, being on that ship. Uh, then laterally transferred over to the SEAL teams where I was um, assistant platoon commander at SEAL team four, platoon commander at SEAL team one. Uh, had every intention of spending my career in the SEAL teams, but it wasn't to be. I got injured on deployment, medically discharged, spent uh, about four years in the private sector doing sales and sales management. 9-11 rolls around. I was in the city when that happened, lost a brother-in-law. Uh, and that kind of changed perspective. How do I get back into this fight? Uh, got myself medically cleared, joined the FBI, where I specialized in uh, international terrorism. I was a member of the SWAT team because of my background. During the war, I was attached to the 75th Ranger Regiment uh, for combat operations in Afghanistan. And uh, about four months or so, um, came back and, and then just decided it was time to do something a little different. Um, started my own leadership consulting firm with my wife, and we've been doing that ever since. And th those are the highlights. So tell me, Errol, why did you go the leadership route? I mean, uh, it's it's a lot of times uh, you see guys from the military step out and start, you know, teaching tactical training. Uh, uh, yeah. they, they head that direction, and uh, but you kind of went down the the, the the leadership route. Let's talk about that. So the, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm very careful when I answer these questions uh, regarding my time in the FBI. I spent over 13 years in the FBI and, and I loved being a special agent for the FBI. I loved it. I loved uh, investigating terrorism and international terrorism. I also did some organized crime and some gang work. Um, but I had run into some frustrations with 
the leadership. Now, again, I always caveat, if people are listening to me, they follow uh, me on, you know, and speaking about these things, they know exactly what I'm going to say. Some of the best leaders I've ever met were in the FBI. Okay. If I've got to pick five of the top people to, to go to war with me, a few of them are coming from the FBI. So that said, but unfortunately, from a leadership standpoint, my perception was those guys were the outliers, uh, not a dime a dozen. And I just got a little bit frustrated with the spirit of the leadership uh, in, in the FBI. And, and, and so that's when I said, all right, well, look, if, if it's the leadership that's bothering me and if it's the leadership in the SEAL teams that stood out to me so much, that was so inspiring, and if it's the great leadership that I saw in the private sector that inspired me and I saw the difference uh, you know, firsthand in, in, in something other than a military environment, I just realized you know, it is truly my passion. I have something to offer. I think I have something very unique to offer. And let's start sharing with people who care, who are searching, who are thirsting for it. Uh, and that, that was it. It was as simple as that. It was just a decision uh, that I made to say, okay, look, I, I, if I'm frustrated and I don't agree with something, I've got a couple of choices to make. I, the, the, the choices still lie with me. I can stay in place and get over it and move on, look past it and not complain because I'm not going to sit there and complain, or I can just move on get on with it, not a big deal, and do something that I think uh, I'm more I'm more in line with at this time in my life. And it was really as simple as that. All right. So, so talk to me. All right. You, you were um, a graduate of the United States Naval Academy. Mm -hmm. All right. And their format of teaching leadership there. Um, uh, how much takeaway do you have and what you bring and how your structure now, the way that you teach comes from that? Well, it, Oddly enough, not a lot. And, and here's why. Because mm -hmm. it was the, the Naval Academy was a great institution of leadership because it was a course curriculum requirement, right? You took courses in leadership every semester. Sure. Yeah. So leadership, what I learned from there is leadership is all the time. They're always talking about leadership. And so if I took anything from my time at the Naval Academy, it's not necessarily what they taught and things like that, but it was the fact that leadership was constantly coming out of people's mouths. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I do bring to my clients now, because oddly enough, I teach leaders at, you know, at every level and you have to remind them, you need to be thinking about leadership more than your widget. Mm -hmm. Leadership is more important than your widget. You are the leader of people who do your widget. You as the leader need to be thinking about how you're making decisions, right? What emotions are driving through your veins right now? And are you going to act on that in a way that's not in the best interests of you, your people, or your organization? And if you're not thinking leadership all the time, then you're missing. Okay, so from the Naval Academy, that's, that's probably what I bought out the most. Again, the the curriculum and things like that was all great, but that had, it, it was the spirit in which that's on your mind at all times. And if it's not, then you are not doing leadership correctly. So that's, that was really a good thing I bought out of the Naval Academy. Cool. So talk to me about the FBI Academy. Uh, did, did they bring out leadership qualities in you when you went through the, the Academy? The FBI Academy is, is pretty interesting. You know, it's one thing, it was a good Academy. 
uh, right? They, they do, there's a lot to learn and they do a good job of, of giving you the basics on everything. So you can jump in and start working cases. It, and it's, it's like a whirlwind, right? It's like you're there and then you're not anymore because they're, they're churning people through. Um, as far as leadership goes, it, it's funny. The answer has to be no. It doesn't stand out to me because I can't think of anything where I'm like, yeah, they were talking about leadership all sure. the time. Mm-hmm. So, so from that standpoint, you know, no. Uh, and I'll also... Again, not to say it was a good academy. They taught you the basics of law enforcement, but leading people, leading cases, right? Leading cases is a huge thing, as you well know. Oh, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna run a case, you, you're you're not running a good, big, impactful case all by yourself. You're just simply not. And whether you have a an organized team underneath you or you don't, you're still gonna have to bring people in to help. And then you're going to have to lead them. And it's going to be different organizations. I worked a lot with the CIA, the NSA, DEA. There's a leadership component to bringing those people on to help you with their case and not do the standard this mm-hmm. that a lot of law enforcement organizations do. So yeah, the FBI Academy, they they it just doesn't stand out. And I know that in the FBI, in my opinion, they they talked a better game about leadership than they actually enforced. Um, which look, I hope that's going to change, but yeah, that's the, that's my kind of not awesome view of that aspect of, of, of your, sure. you know, one of the things that I noticed because I was attached to DEA for some years, um, <clears throat> and, uh, I worked, you know, con- you know, concurrently here with, with the FBI and, and, you know, Office of Inspector General. Um, and what I noticed was a lot of the younger cadets that were coming through these FBI academies or DEA academies were fresh out of, out of college, right? And it was those guys that had prior boots on ground experience, whether in the military or in other you know, parts of law enforcement that really shined and brought leadership skills uh, when they graduated from these uh, federal academies. Uh, what you did find a lot of times is that the ones that were just wet behind the ear, the, the, the college guys that were just coming fresh out of college with zero experience, that they lacked a lot of leadership skills. Um, so I really felt like the experience level from a guy that had been boots on ground before, whether in the military or in law enforcement, uh, completely, you know, it, it shined when they were when they were an agent for the most part. Um, talk to me a little bit about when you know you went through buds, um, you know the time that you went through buds and how you came out of that, and then what you took from that that you are applying now in you know in your company and the way you're teaching. Yeah, the um, you know just on the first part of that the the, you know, the college educated folks coming out right into law enforcement, the FBI used to not be that way. Um, and even as early as when I was in there, and I'd certainly know before that you had to have some real world experience coming in. Mm. And I thought that was a good, a good way to go for all the reasons you just described. Now they changed that model a little bit for various reasons. Um, 
I think they changed it for linguistics, right? If somebody had some language skills, we're going to bring them in because we need them. You know, I came in right at the beginning of the war on terror. So a lot of things changed. They bought in some military guys to go right into the HRT, which was good. But, you know, that civilian experience is also very important as well. So the FBI got away from that a little bit. But I will say to their defense, it was still the spirit of the individual that mattered. So there were some college kids who came in right out of college. And if they came in right, meaning humble, ready to learn, ready to do all the dirty work, mm-hmm. and appreciated the fact that they didn't have any experience, they were fine. But then there was somebody who came in because they were hired because they could speak Farsi. And all of a sudden, there's a chip on their shoulder. And now they don't feel like they need to do the dirty work. So again, sure. it was the spirit that they came in. Now, Back to the buds thing, I, you know, my company's name is Leader One Nine Three. One Nine Three is my is my buds Hell Week class. That time in the SEAL teams was just very special to me. What I learned, especially about leadership. So going in, coming out, what's the difference? Well, when you come out the other side, okay, what you realize is there are no real limitations to your mind and body. Okay. There's very few because, you know, the mind controls everything. And when, when you saw somebody at Bud's and I had, a, I had a, a unique class, we started my training with about 200 guys and we finished hell week with about 10, right. And hell week is like at week four or something like that. I don't even remember. That's, that's not the norm, right? That's, that's what gets to the overall 70, you know, 70% attrition rate, those, those types of classes. But the point is, when somebody said, man, I'm not so sure about this, right? They were quitting. They never recovered from that statement, whether it was quitting literally five minutes later or five days later. They oh. always quit. And I don't know what you really learn from that other than the mentality it really does control everything. Because I get asked a lot, well, where, where were you? Did you ever think about quitting? And the answer is no, because it's just something that I wanted so badly. I, I remember thinking, you know, in the 50 meter underwater swim, you know, everybody gets nervous about that. And it's ultimately not that big of a deal. But at the time, it's a huge deal. 50 meters underwater. And I, I remember thinking, well, I'm not coming up. I'm just not coming up. I'm going to trust that they're going to save me if I drown. And, and, and that's the mentality everybody who makes it through has. Okay, so that's the one thing that I really, that really was solidified in my mind, the power of the mind. And when you see people out there who have a negative attitude, who just find the downside to everything, you've, for me, I've always got to be wary of them because I see the negative impact. The other thing that I bought out of it as a leader was kind of the same thing uh, that I bought out of the Naval Academy. Everything that went wrong, I was an officer, right? So I was in charge of the, you know, that training team, my class, everything that went wrong. It doesn't matter if I was within a mile of it. The instructors would come to me and say, you're in charge of this thing. That was your fault. Now, initially I was like, well, that's, thinking to myself, that's ridiculous. That's just a ploy for them to, you know, yell at me and whatever it is. Right. And the good thing about buds is every now and then they're going to pull you aside and speak to you like a man. 
right? When they're not trying to make you quit and do all these things. And, you know, one of the instructors, he explained it to me. He said, you know, Lieutenant, you're, you're probably confused about why we're yelling at you for this thing that happened over there that had nothing to do with you. And, you know, I gave the initial, you know, sir, yes, sir, whatever I said, you know, whatever the responses are. And he goes, no, no, talk to me. I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, yeah, if you, to be honest, I am a little bit, right? I, whatever happened, right? And he goes, well, here's the thing. He goes, our concern is not that that thing happened. Our concern is that they thought it would be okay for that thing to happen. Mm. And our question is, what's the environment that you're creating that allows them to think that as a leader? And I was like, got it. Got it. Okay. Then you start talking about preemptive leadership, right? Setting the behavioral guidelines. And as we talk about yes. my, my process, right? Some people call it, call it culture, core values. I just use behavioral guidelines. What are the behaviors that we're going to require sure. outside of our widget? And that was then I started putting that stuff in place then, right? As, as a young guy, and I pulled the team in and I said, Hey man, look, I just got chewed. And here's the thing. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to act with preemptive mindset. We have to think about the things that they're going to do to us. And we have to be ready in advance. That's a behavior. Sure. Right. And, and so again, when you talk about the impact mm -hmm. that they have, so that's, that's one thing. And if, not to keep going on and on, but I, I'll have another great story to share with you from buds. You do these two mile swims in the ocean, right? And they have you mm -hmm. put on your, in, you know, inflatable life vest and you've got your, your, it's got the actuator on it. So it's always got to be clean. You got your knife. And every time before you go on a swim, they inspect it, right? Is your stuff clean? It's takes nothing to clean your knife and your actuator after a swim. So we had a swim Tuesday night, whatever it was, right? Last thing you're exhausted. You know, I went home and I said, you know what? I'm just going to clean this tomorrow. I'm just too tired. Then they hit us with a surprise swim. Now I'm going out there with a rusty knife and my actuator all full of salt. And I'm just standing there ready to get crushed because everybody else took the time to clean their stuff except for me. The instructor looks at my stuff, just looks at me and goes, explain yourself. Once again, I give the standard, uh, no excuse, whatever it is. He goes, no, no, really explain yourself. And I said, I really have no excuse. I said, I was lazy and I didn't clean it last night. I, I was going to clean it today. And then you had the surprise swim and here I am. And he goes, yeah, you know, sir. He goes, there's 24 hours in a day. And he just moved on. That stuck with me forever. Just every time I'm sitting here going, oh, I just don't have time for this. I'm like, well, yeah, I do have time for it. <laughs> okay, I do have time for it. And as I'm coaching people, leaders of all levels, I hear that all the time. I just don't have time for it. And I said, really? Let's break down the time. You know, and I'll do it, you know, I because some people have to, that there's 24 hours in a day has to be broken down for them. Sure. And it's usually one or two points I make to that leader and they'll go, okay, I got your, I got your point. I go, well, do you? Explain it to me. Well, I probably didn't need to watch my binge TV show for an hour last night. I'm like, there you go. You're getting it, right? I probably didn't need to sure. 
yeah. do this other nonsensical thing. There is time. So anyway, that's that's a long answer to where you are coming out of buds, at least for me, from a leadership perspective. No, that's great. Good information, without a doubt. So where do you think right now, um, the mindset of, you know, the, the leadership that we have in this society, uh, where do you think that we're struggling the most, especially men that are um, from, from a men's perspective, men that are, are, are either in capacity such as CEOs or founders for companies and trying to start a, a, a culture, um, it, it, where do you think we are right now? Because I'm my opinion, just that, um, you know, I coach a lot of high level guys all over the place. But the reality is that I feel like men are soft in so many aspects. And they're constantly trying to be Mr. Nice Guy uh, from a perspective where makes the culture around them weak. Um, so just my two yeah. cents, but, but talk to me. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to that question. You know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, but if I had to break it down to a couple of basic elements, we are lacking clarity in conviction and clarity in communicating that fiction, mm -hmm. uh, conviction and expectations of the people who we have the responsibility to lead. Okay. You can't hold someone accountable if they don't know what they're supposed to be accountable to. Excellent. If you, if you are not outlining the behaviors, the couple of behaviors that you are going to require people to abide by. And oh, this is tough language, right? Oh, abide by. And what we, you want these people to be robots. No, as a leader, it's my responsibility to let you know what your ex, what the expectations are from a behavioral standpoint. I expect us to be proactive. I expect us to be communicative, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Okay, there's no one right thing or wrong thing. I expect mm -hmm. us to plan in advance, right? That's a behavior. I expect us to keep things simple, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter as long as it's communicated. And then when it's not abide by, you hold people accountable by asking a question. Accountability by definition, explaining your actions. You can't explain your actions unless I've asked you a question. So me as the leader, I hold you accountable. I say, Rafa, we say what we do here on our team is we plan in advance before we act. Can you explain to me why you didn't do that this time? I've just held you accountable. The quality of your answer is almost irrelevant at this point, okay? Because you need to know that you're going to be asked the question based on. So the point that I'm making is, first of all, I don't think we have that enough. So therefore now we are super reactive to things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's all around these days, you know, race and gender and, and political affiliation. Right. And, and, and how are you being sensitive to the, you know, what other people's feelings are? And I have nothing wrong with being sensitive to what somebody else is thinking. I, I truly don't. Whether I agree with it or not, it's good. Sensitivity is a good thing, okay? However, if me as the leader can't put your sensitivity in a place where I say, that's fine, but remember, here's how we do things, okay, here. And that part has nothing to do with how we're doing business, okay? From a leadership perspective, you are leading people. You're probably leading an organization. So that's 
That's the first thing we're not doing. The second thing is we don't have the conviction around what we believe we stand for. Okay. There's virtue signaling out there and people getting all sensitive and afraid to say what they believe. Okay. Because they're going to be canceled. I get it. Look, I, you know, I'm a public figure. You're a public figure. We do have to pay a little bit of attention to what we say. And I don't think that's a bad thing, right? The need to think about what you're going to say before you say it, or else you're going to get the mob on you. As long as you're good, right? If I'm thinking and I'm saying something and I say, look, I, I'm convicted on this. Okay. I understand everybody else's point of view, but I'm afraid that I'm going to have to go my way on this. And if the mob's going to come for that, then so be it. Because I feel like I'll come out the other side of that. And I'm not afraid to kind of go through, you know, be in the barrel for a little while. So we're missing that conviction. Okay. We, we have to stop being so afraid, but that conviction only comes when you can clearly define what you're going to hold yourself and your people accountable to, and you can properly articulate it. And I think, again, there's a lot to your question, but I think that's what we're missing a lot of, you know, just the clarity in what we stand for. So, like, you know, I get a lot of questions. I try to avoid politics in general, just because I'm a leadership consultant. And if somebody tries to drag me into politi political discussion, the objectivity around things generally leaves. So I just will say, this is not what we're talking about. But well, what I will say is, Donald Trump, right? He becomes a big lightning rod. And people ask me about him. And I say, all right, look, you're going to try to drag me into this. I'm going to talk to this around a perspective of leadership. If I was Donald Trump's advisor, here's what I would have said to him. You have to stop being such a dick. Okay. And what I mean by that is your policies and the clarity around your policies, whether people agree with them or not, are clear right? China. I will not do this on China, right? You can agree with that or not, but he was clear. He enacted the policy. And I, in my opinion, a lot of his policies really worked. He didn't need to have that New York edge on him all the time. He could have backed off, but right? he still could have talked plainly, right? He still could have said, no, I'm not going to let you push me around and, and battled a little bit as they do in the political arena. But he was so clear in what his policies were, and he was so focused on acting on those policies and that there were some results one way or the other, he could have toned it down, right? So what will I say, you know, oh, but Donald Trump battles. No, he could have battled and he could have been more aware of the landscape. So, you know, that's about as much as I get into, you know, uh, that political realm. But th those are the, the things that I see uh, around where men and look, women, to be honest with you, leaders, where you need to stand up, you know, what do you believe? Earning respect. All right. Um, a lot of times our society gets a, uh, unfortunately gets a little chip on their shoulder and they think that they're entitled to respect all the time. Um, I'm a big believer that a leader earns his stripes. He earns respect. Um, and I want to get into that, but I also want to talk a little bit about, um, there's some confusion when we talk about leading from the front, uh, you know, everybody says lead from the front. So I want your take on that also. 
Yeah, you know, in my mind, again, leading from the front is just kind of what I described. It is setting the clear expectations around behavior. You know, the widget part is almost easy, Mm -hmm. right? You got, you know, we're going to make this thing and there's a process in place to make it. But it's the spirit in which you're going about organizing and making that widget that matters. And it's the environment that's created. Okay. Um, You know, I talk a lot about all people. I'll have people say to me, I just, how do I get them to love their job more? And I'll say, what, what do you care if they love their job? And everybody, oh, but I'm the leader. I have to make sure they love their job. I said, no, you have no control over that, right? That these people, half of your people might've taken this job because it's the only job they could find and they need to put, you know, food on the table and, and a house over their kids, uh, a roof over their kids, um, you know, for safety. And they need this job for that. And they don't really care about the widget you're making. And again, it's, I can't even believe I'm hearing this. And I said, my point is what they care about is an environment that they like going to. And how do they like that environment? It is a predictable environment. Now, when I say predictable environment, I get people telling me, no, unpredictability is good. Keeps people on their toes. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about when you walk into that office, right? And you know what's expected of you from a look. Errol said these are the behaviors we plan. We're communicative, right? We, you know, we're proactive, whatever it is. And then there's an explanation behind those things. And I know that that's what he's going to hold me accountable to in my work and behavior. And I know that he's going to do the same thing for other people, and it's going to be consistent. You know what? All of a sudden, while I don't care about my widget, I kind of like this environment because everybody is acting the same way in the right way. Now, in my mind, that's leading from the front. Okay, that is saying, hey, everybody, I know we've got a bunch of different personalities. From that degree, of course, everybody's respected for who they are and their individualism. However, here are the things that are going to be expected of everybody regardless of where you come from, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your color, regardless of your gender, regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of your political affiliation, here are the things that everybody's going to be held to. That's out front. That is leading from the front, in my view. Setting the standards, the expectation that creates that predictable environment. So few people, right? I have... And, and I know you've run into this before. Well, I don't want to be a dictator. That sounds very dictatorial, uh, telling people how to act. I'm like, no, no, it's not. You're, not only is that what leaders do, that, that's your job to set that behavioral guideline, to set that culture. That is your job. If you have no other job, it's that. And you have to, and so I just tell some people, you have to get your head around that because otherwise, People will behave how they see fit, for better or for worse. That's it. And you cannot reprimand them for any type of behavior if you haven't made clear what you expect first. Somebody does something off the walls, acting the fool, what are you going to say to them? You can't act like that. They're going to say, well, why? How how was I supposed to know? This was perfectly fine at my other job. Well, come on, common sense. No, not common sense. Why would we hope 
Why would we assume we can know? So in my mind, that's leading from the front. You know, I know that term kind of comes from a combat area, right? You're the first guy out in front and all that. I see it the other way, just setting those, setting those guidelines and expectations out of the gate before you even know anybody, right? And then you make those small adjustments along the way around personality and things like that. Me too. I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, that's exactly the way that I see it. Um, and, you know, so let, let's talk a little bit about, can you, do you think that you can use a lot of these strategies and philosophies into your own personal life for leading yourself as a person, maybe leading your family? Yeah. So when I bring people through my process, it is not long before they say, you know what, Earl, this is great for work and it's, it's working out, but man, you know, my wife all of a sudden is like, well, where's this coming from in a good way, right? You, you're asking me about, you know, how I'm feeling in this area. You've never noticed that before. Um, the whole thing about time, right? I don't have time. And, and I go home and, you know, I've got my kids, but I'm too tired. And I don't have time to play with you. You know, and all of a sudden I was thinking about the expectations and what leaders do. And then the transition from, being a leader at work to being a leader at home. So the answer, Rafa, to your question is it's more for the individual and what's happening at home. I just present it initially, you know, for a, for a business and, and, and your, and your work life, it always, always comes back to the individual and then what you're doing at home, because what, you know, like most great consultants in our field, we start with the individual. How are you leading yourself in those things? And it's, it's a hard place to go, right? Because they're typically more concerned with why isn't anybody doing what I say? Well, what are you saying for yourself? <laughs> what are you telling yourself? Sure, what, sure, what, yeah. what, what expectations have you right. set for yourself and are you living them? Yeah. You know, and if you don't think that the people don't see that you are or you're not, then, you're, then that's your blind spot. So yeah, you know, home and the individual, that's where it all starts. That's awesome. And, and talk to me a little bit about earning respect. I mean, how, how do you think that, that some guys out there that are leading right now and that are, and that are, you know, I get a lot of DMs and emails, you know, I, I just, I don't feel like I'm respected around me. I mean, do you, do you believe that giving respect to someone uh, it's, it's a start for earning that respect back? Or, or do you think that through time you earn it? Talk to me about that. You know, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but you know, and I, and I keep talking about my process, right. And what, what my philosophy is, is there is no, every leadership challenge in my view can be say, can be solved the same way, right? We don't have to say, you know, Rafa, Look at your, the way you tied your shoe just then. Come on, let's fix that, right? You're going to fix that, but I haven't really solved the problem because then I go to you and say, but Rafa, look, look at your belt buckle and, and, and your shirt's untucked. Come on, you got to fix that. Okay, you're going to fix that, right? And then, well, Rafa, look at your hair, right? So my point on that is we're going to focus on the behaviors. We're going to focus on the emotions that drive behaviors and recognizing that, right? Because that's going to help you solve the problem. 
why isn't Rafa paying attention to me? What could be going through his mind right now? What emotion could he possibly feeling that is not allowing him to get what I'm saying, right? Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's insecure. So if I start recognizing that first, I'm going to go a long way to understanding what's wrong with you. And if I start asking the right questions, hey, Rafa, are you okay? Right? You know, I, I see you're a little disheveled here. The shoot. I said, don't worry about that so much. I'm more concerned about it. how are you feeling? Is everything okay? Boom. I've just hit the real question. Now, you're probably not going to answer it honestly initially. Right, I mean, right. I'm fine. No, I'm you. fine. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. fine. But you know that I asked sure. and you know that I'm looking deeper than that superficial, your mm -hmm. shoes not tied properly, whatever it is. Okay. That's the first area. Okay. The second area then once again is this concept around how do we behave? What are our guidelines? What are our core values? Whatever you call them. Okay. So when I say to you, Right. Again, my silly example of your shoes untied, your belt, you know, your shirt's untucked and your hair's a mess. If I say, look, in this, in this organization, we act professionally and here's what that means. Right. And I give my context for what a professional does. Right. And everybody understands it. And I'm consistent in delivering that message. Right. It's not just something I put on a piece of paper and we tuck away or I put it on the wall that everybody walks by and doesn't see. Right. Cause every other week, I'm saying, hey, we're going to take 10 minutes and go over these behavioral guidelines to remind everybody, right? And so on and so forth. Now I'm looking at you, Rafa, right? And I'm giving you the basic questions. Are you okay? And you're like, yeah, no, I'm fine. You know, whatever it is. And maybe you're even giving me a little attitude and that's fine. I say, okay. I said, I've got a couple of questions for you then, Rafa. I said, you know what we do around here? We act professionally. And I said, you just got to explain to me how that shoelaced and how the untucked shirt and how the hair, you got to explain to me how that's a professional based on what we've talked about since we put this in place. Can you, can you walk me through that? Cause maybe I'm missing it. Now I'm hitting you a little bit. I'm holding you accountable, but I'm holding you accountable to a behavior, mm -hmm. not these individual things that you'll just fix, right? Just to get me off your back. Now you've got to explain the whole picture. So the question that we were talking about is how do you gain respect? Well, I tell you what, I've just been very hard on you, but I've been hard on you on something specific that we laid out there, that I let you know what I was going to do, and then I did it. If we do not behave in these ways, I will ask you why. And now I've just done that. Now, you may not like it. You won't because it'll be embarrassing. You'll be frustrated, but you will respect it. Okay, you will. Okay, anybody who's been held accountable the proper way doesn't like it, but they respect it. So now what else have I done? You might say to yourself, well, you know what? I don't like this behavior. I don't like this whole professionalism thing, Errol. And I think it's wrong. I get to say, hey, okay, you know what? Maybe you're not a good cultural fit for this organization. Cultural fit, we hear that all the time. Okay. And now because I've defined what the culture is, culture is the made up of the things you do, not the labels you put on them. Mm -hmm. We get to really mutually say, yeah, it's just not a good fit based on these things. And guess what else? When we do that, we gain respect. There's an honesty, there's a clarity. 
And you might actually leave and say, you know, I just didn't agree with Errol's concept of professionalism and how he held us accountable to it. But I will say this, it was clear and he did hold us accountable to it. It just wasn't for me. So, you know, look, that guy's okay in my book. It just didn't work out. In my mind, that's how we get the respect, right? We make it clear, okay? And we start those questions, right? You know, the whole sensitivity issue and things like that. If we start our process with emotional awareness and recognition, if I'm thinking, I'm not just looking at your act, I'm thinking about why would he act that way? Is there something going on? And I ask that question. There's no greater sensitivity than that, right? We don't have to hug. We don't have to whine and cry. We can, that's allowed too. But this, 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 this notion that sensitivity can't be a very straightforward part of the process is, mm-hmm. is, is my view just wrong. And I think that's where you gain that respect. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you kind of shifted course here at some point in time. And um, I guess you were introduced to Wim Hof and, and his method. And uh, so I want to know what, what a Navy SEAL and, and an FBI agent and, and all of a sudden kind of transitions into learning uh, a, a very deep uh, personal uh, spiritual breathing uh, program and, and a way of life really. Uh, mm-hmm. from from Wim Hof. And, and so I want to get into that. Yeah, it, it, my pleasure, because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So Wim Hof method, a combination of mindset, breathing, cold exposure. And the breathing is a very, um, it's a very specific and aggressive breathing that essentially, and I won't get into the science, but among other things, what it does has been shown scientifically to reset your nervous system, right? Wim Hof, does not, he doesn't do anything anymore without a team of scientists writing those scientific papers and saying, here's the study, right? Control groups and the whole thing. The other thing it does is it gets you into a deeper state of consciousness, if you will. And the reason is what we've seen is that this deep breathing starts to uh, produce all of those natural cannabinoids, right? That people are looking for everywhere else. We know now the body can create it. It takes a little heart, more work and a little more discipline, okay, to create it yourself than rather, you know, doing a psychedelic, which I have really no strong opinion on. I don't condemn it. I don't promote it. But the fact of the matter is we've now know we can do that ourselves. So how did, how did I get into this? And then the cold exposure, I was just, I was setting up a a weekend retreat for a client and the CEO said, look, I'd like to incorporate Wim Hof method in in it. Can you do that? Can you call this guy? And I I said, what, what is the Wim Hof method? I had no idea what it was. He said, just call, you know, Brandon Powell was the guy's name. Um, Just call Brandon and set it up, fit it in. So I looked Brandon up and, you know, he's a, he's a jujitsu guy and he, he, he owns his own studio, but the video that he had was him getting into an ice bath and it just spoke to me. I mean, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> right? Like, what is that? This guy's getting into an ice bath, nice and calm. And he's what I, I just had never seen anything like it. The long story short, you know, we set up obviously what was going to happen on the retreat. Brandon spent about an hour on the phone talking to me about the whole thing. Second, we hung up, I got on the Wim Hof website and 
signed up for the eight week uh, um, online course and started the process towards being an instructor for no other reason than I was like, there's something to this. It spoke to me immediately. So Brandon, fast forward, he does a session at the retreat. I, you know, I participate and I went into a place on the breathing. I can't even explain it. Just the things you see, the places you go, the things you recognize, and then you come out of it and you're like, wow. And then the ability to remain calm and focused in an ice bath. Like you should, you can't pretend the ice, the beauty of the ice is in the cold. You can't hide from it. Look, meditation, even the breathing sometimes, it's just not your day, right? But you say, oh, you know, I tried it, but my mind was wandering. I couldn't get it right. If you're going to survive and thrive in the ice bath, you have to get it right. There's no hiding from it. You have to be calm and focused on one thing. So when I started doing the Wim Hof method from just a personal endeavor, my wife said to me, now, if keep in mind, this is, I had just started the business. I had two kids at the time. I've got three left my job. And so things were stressful. Right. And as much as I tried not to exhibit that stress, it was oozing out of my pores. After about a week of doing the Wim Hof method, my wife said to me, look, I don't know what this thing you're doing is, but you are never allowed to stop. <laughs> okay. And I, you know, I said, well, well, why? She said, look, you, I can still tell you're stressed, but there's a calmness about you. It's not coming out of your pores, right? You do your, and she, this is what she said to me. She was, oh, you do your best to control your emotions. I know you do, and I appreciate it. But there's this fire inside of you right now that when you're stressed, it's coming out. And all of a sudden, it's not as deep. So I was like, fantastic. So now I'm doing this thing, and I'm looking at my process that starts with the awareness of emotions, and it goes into being aware of what you do based on the emotions and then making decisions on how you want to act and making a plan, right? My process. And I said, you know what? I said, how do you practice these things? How do you practice emotional awareness and recognition, right? How do you practice being observant of how you act based on those emotions? And I said, the ice bath, the ice bath, it will tell you everything. Because here's one thing that's going to happen before you get to an ice bath. And when you're in the ice bath and after you get out, you're going to have an emotion and it's going to be right there in your <laughs> face. So, so this, this idea that how can we practice these elements of leadership that will help us solve every problem? I was like the Wim Hof method, ice bath. So every time I go through each one of the elements with somebody, it's always a cold exposure. It's always a cold shower, but now it's identify your emotions before, during, and after. Then it's identify to me what you specifically did before, during, or after, meaning before the ice bath, what did I do? I walked around in circles. Uh, I found the nail clippers and you know, I had to clip my nails. I haven't done that in a while. Just a couple of checks. Right? You procrastinated. And then when you got into the ice bath, what did you do? Did you make a big show of it? Oh, cursing and yeah, yelling and screaming, right? Those are the things you do. That will be a mirror on how you act in stressful situations. So Again, the long answer to your question, the Wim Hof method, is that I just happened on it. It spoke to me, and that has been a part of my life, my personal life. 
Uh, I very rarely miss a day of breathing. I very rarely miss a day of cold exposure. And I use that. So again, the leader 193 way, leadership through process and wellness. That's the wellness portion where we can practice these things. And at a minimum, you're going to be practicing leadership principles. At a maximum, you will change your very physiology. You will change the way you see things. Uh, there will be a calmness about you. And what's more, in this day and age of COVID and wearing masks and, oh, my God, what we know now is that this method scientifically shows, this is the science nobody's talking about, right, to increase, to strengthen your immune system. Yes, COVID is real. There is a virus out there that is new. It's a new strain of virus. Here's the issue though, okay? We're never gonna get rid of these strains of virus, okay? The reason it's killing people is not because it's such a devastating strain of virus. The reason it's killing people is because people's immune systems are so weak Okay, that when a new virus comes in that the body's not used to, our immune system overreacts. And that is the thing that is killing people. Not to mention, they have two and a half more comorbidities. They have heart disease. They have arterial scroll. You know, they have all these things that are based on poor health and wellness. And now their immune system is weak. So when this new thing comes in, so again, minimally, Here's what the Wim Hof method does for you on this grander scale. And in specific to today's environment, it's strengthening your immune system. Okay. So your body, Oh, you know, COVID's in my system. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt for a couple of days. It might, but your body is going to do what it naturally does because your system is strong. So again, maybe I diverted a little bit, but that's kind of the, the Wim Hof method and where, where, where it is for me. Carol, give me a, an inside look, a glimpse on your daily routine. Yeah. So, look, I try to keep it structured because it's just got to be that way. And I found for me, the best thing for me to do is wake up, right? Mm -hmm. Got to feed the dogs. I, I'm an early riser. I wake up at 4.30 uh, only because, again, I've got the three kids and I've got to find, right, 24 hours in a day. I've got to find the hours to get some peace and quiet work done. I work from home. But for me, the first thing we do, wake up, I get the dogs fed. I immediately go to my breathing, uh, Wim Hof breathing. And then, and I, and I look, all the strategies, I time block it, right? That This is the time of day I do for that. I breathe first and then I'll get, I'll do the cold. Uh, and I start my day with that. Uh, it just, it works for me. Right. I, I, I also like cold. Do you have a, do you have a bathtub that you fill it with what ice or do you do a cold shower or. Yep. So all of the above. Right. So um, I have a, uh, I, we just moved out here to Colorado. So we got rid of all of our stuff when we moved across country, but gotcha. typically what I had was a meat freezer, right? 15 cubic foot meat freezer. Mm -hmm. You fill it with water. And, and you leave it, you leave it in there, right? You, you, right. you, know, you monitor it so it doesn't freeze over. Right. Uh, but you've got a ready ice bath at all times. You know, every now and then you drain it, you clean it out and, and you're cool. good to go. Cool. So that's the first thing. Right now, I don't have that in place because we got rid of it for the move. Cold shower will do just fine, right? And and because it, it's the same concept. Um, once winter rolls around here, I'll just put a I'll put a, uh, you know, a feed tub of water, just leave it outside, you know, 
break the ice every morning and jump in. So there's no, you know, you know, there's, there's no limit to what you can do. And cold is cold. Um, There'll be, you know, benefits one to, to the other, but you know, the science shows if you did 30 seconds of a cold shower, like, 55 degrees, I can't remember the exact number is, you're going to be working to strengthening your immune system. So it doesn't take much, right? But I use those things, all those things for a difference. So that's, that's how I start my day. Uh, and, and if I don't start it that way, ah, I'm a little off, right? And then I've got it like, all right, I just, let me put everything down and get this done. So yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, now throughout your day, for example, um, Prior to going to bed, I mean, do you have your, your your day blocked out where you're doing this, you're doing that, and then you kind of move along? Yep. Or is it more just you structure the morning and then you kind of let the day go? No, no. And I used to do it that way. And it just, it got too random. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, these, these, these specific time management things out there are all good. Everybody, you gotta, there's a million of them mm-hmm. and you look at one that, that suits you. And I try to keep my day as structured as I can. So from 4.30 to 6.15 is breathing, cold exposure, coffee with with the wife. Okay, 6.15 to I think I've got to like 11.30 is leader 193 work, right? I try to do all my calls during that time. I try to hit all my emails during that time. Just that's the work time. Then I take an hour for exercise, okay? And that's usually more like 40 minutes for exercise and then, you know, get showered up or whatever. Uh, and then I try to finish the day with writing, right? I write, I've got a book out now. We're, we're working on another book. I do very consistent blogs over the last five years. Writing is very important. Uh, and then, then the day's done. Um, so I try to keep it to that. Now that, look, here's the thing around that. It's not perfect. And as we, as we help people in leadership and organization, it's, I have to, I have to eat my own dog food. As they say, it's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes I've got so much work to do to prepare for something that I'm going to be doing during the day. They say, all right, that 4:30 to 6:15, I've got to use that to prepare. I just have to. Okay. That's allowed. <laughs> okay. It's a small deviation. I'll do my breathing and cold exposure at the end of the day or whatever it is. Um, but that's just, a small adjustment. The structure allows you to operate with more freedom. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how I keep it going and it works out, you know, and it's, it takes work it, it, as much as I'd like to look. I, I am the path of leaf resistance. I would love to sit and, you know, just throw on Netflix on my computer for an hour or so, just so I can decompress. <laughs> right. But <laughs> What I use that, you know, we use that for the weekends. We, we, we're pretty solid about, <clears throat> you know, 2.30 or 3 o'clock on Friday. Um, we're shutting it down and, and now it's family time. And then we, we lock back in, you know, Sunday night, start prepping for the next day. But, you know, so that, that time we just say, okay, now it's fun time. That's awesome. That, that's definitely something that men could take and structure their life with that. Um, uh, let's say 193 is the name of your company, right? 193. Yeah, leader, leader 193. Yep. Leader 193. Talk to me a little bit about that. So, you know, as you've, as you've heard me say inside, you know, this, my process, my process, my process. 
Um, I have, it's the leader one, nine, three way leadership through process and, and wellness. Um, everything I do is anchored in that process in the elements, which I alluded to, uh, in our conversation, right? Every leadership challenge can be found in that and the wellness portion, like we discussed. So what's good is my message is always based around the leader one, nine, three process and wellness, how I deliver it is a multitude of different ways. Generally speaking, my main offering is an eight-week video program, right? I've got a video series. You watch that. I ask you, you know, here are the things we're going to do during the week. We've got the app. You know, you, you log in every day, and then we have a good one-on-one, focused one-on-one call, right? Because it's going to be focused on that week's element part of the process. But the same message will be for a half day, a one day, a three day retreat or offsite. The same message will be generally around any public speaking things I do. Uh, so I keep that very focused, the message focused and the way we deliver it, sky's the limit. Very good, very good. The name of your book, um, and and are, is it on Amazon and pretty much everywhere? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Amazon primarily. Um, you know, Process Art and Science and Leadership, uh, Amazon's the place to go get it. And uh, we've got the audio uh, recording as well. If people like the uh, audio books. So, yep, that's where we have that. Awesome. I'm going to put the, uh, the link to the book on, uh, on the show notes for everybody to go out there and, and purchase it. I'm going to go grab it today. Awesome. Um, and uh, talk to me about your social media. You're on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those. That's, those, are the, those are the three big ones, right? We, uh, you know, so at leader193, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and, uh, you know, Errol Dobler and leader one nine three on LinkedIn. And then, you know, the website leader one nine three.com is, is an excellent resource for everything we're, we're doing lots of information on there. And, and obviously the best way to contact me, but you can, you know, anybody can contact me through all those social media things as well. Awesome, man. Well, listen, first and foremost, I want to say that, uh, you there, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for four or five hours for sure. Uh, you have a lot of information. You're a good guy. You're a guy that certainly doesn't rest on his laurels. You're living today. You're not uh, living the past and, you know, you're showing up every day, which I love. Um, and uh, we want to get you on board here uh, soon again for another podcast and, and maybe, you know, kind of, kind of continue where this one left off. Uh, so thank you again for being on. Uh, we appreciate everything that you're doing and your service, of course. And, uh, Man, I mean, I, I think that you, this company, uh, Leader 193, is going to be very successful without a doubt. I appreciate it, Rafa, and I appreciate the opportunity to get on your show, talk to your big audience, which I recognize you have a massive audience, so the, you know, the opportunity to speak to them, uh, I really appreciate it. And again, thank you for everything that you've done. It's been a real pleasure, and I, and I do hope we can continue the conversation someday. Thank you, Errol. God bless. Thank you. All right.